just got to copy this. Yeah, go ahead. 11 more stars. I'll be over in a minute. Time, temperature, and concentration. Read the work order. Safety glasses. You're not done with that yet? Hey, put on some gloves. Can you please just follow the process? Make sure you put your respirator away. The solvent rags go over the side of the trash can. Where's your wet film gauge? Make sure you're putting tags back on the parts. Did you milk check that? Put your tools away. This chase. Welcome to KaiserCast episode 16. I'm Jace Kaiser. I don't have Chloe with me today. Um, she's busy doing some other things. So it's just going to be me. Uh, guest on the show today is Tad Pospisil. Um, the reason why we're having him on is because Kaiser Blessing Coatings sponsored the Malvern Bank uh, Super Late Model Series. So they're dirt late models. And we sponsored the uh, Point Leader spoilers this year. They're bright pink. So any Whoever was the point leader throughout the season, they had a bright pink spoiler. Um, Tad did really, really well this year. He ended up winning the championship, and we're going to talk to him about that a little bit. Uh, but he carried the pink spoiler for, for a majority of the season. Um, kind of backstory on Tad and, and how I know him. So when I was racing dirt late models, uh, probably around 2010 to 2012-ish, I think, was about when he started racing late models. And uh, we were competing against one another. We both bought cars from the same supplier. Um, so we were both getting kind of similar information. Uh, but, but very, very fierce competitors. Me and him didn't talk very much. Um, we were friendly and stuff, but we were focused on what we were doing. And um, always were, he was definitely somebody that I had to beat if I wanted to win. And uh, then he kind of started branching out, traveling around, doing a lot more open late model racing um, and that was kind of when we were winding down and, and stopped racing, but he was just having a lot of success in that and still is today. And so we'll talk to him about that a little bit. Um, if you've been around the racing scene and you know the Pospisil name, you know that his grandpa Jerry is a very animated character and fun to be around and definitely, definitely lets you know what's on his mind. Um, so I kind of miss being around that because he was, he was always fun to be around. Um, and, uh, has a, a pretty fiery temper so i'll ask tad about that a little bit but uh before we get to that um a little bit of open segment if we have anything going on obviously it's just me here today and i don't have chloe with me but uh, uh we're still just staying busy down at kaiser and seasons are kind of changing had a little bit of snow recently didn't stick much but uh, we just keep grinding on. Uh, we're partway through December here, and we're coming up on our uh, our holiday break that we do just because most of the manufacturing companies we work with take a break between Christmas and New Year's, so we're planning on doing that too. Um, working on our hiring like we've, we've been talking about and you've been seeing on social media, I think we're making some gains there. So our, I think our capacity is going to be um, increasing, and, and we're going to get 
get back on uh, uh, a little bit lower lead time, so our customers should be happy with that. But might as well just get to the interview now, so I'm going to welcome Tad onto the show. Uh, Tad, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, actually outside right now with my boy. He wants to make a snowman, so um, I guess thankful for that for snow but other than that i'm not real too happy about the snow part but um other than that doing good thanks for having me on the show yeah no problem so you had sounds like you had a good season you end up winning the championship with malvern bank um do you want to talk a little bit about that and did the was it great all season long or was it one of those where it came on good at the end or how did it all go um yeah i can start it out um obviously after finishing last year as strong as that we did winning both the Malvern Bank and the Hoker series uh in 2020 um we were pretty confident coming into this year that we'd have a pretty good season again and 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 it started out pretty good maybe not quite as high as our expectations were um we had to work on our car and get a little bit better and then I would say um you know after our first couple races we got her dialed in pretty good and then uh had a good, good, good points lead for a long time, and then got uh, to about July, the Albion race, and had some unfortunate calls. I guess behind the stories, uh, behind the scenes, we had a, had the motor go out in our toter home on the way home uh, from a racetrack, and uh, then the following week we went to McCool Junction and had a wire burnout on the generator, so. We had a heck of a time trying to get the car out of our trailer. And uh, so, yeah, just a lot of blew a motor up. So, yeah, just a lot of unfortunate luck. Fortunately, it was didn't cost us too many points. And uh, gotten, I guess at Farley, Iowa, we kind of gotten wrecked there that first lap. And um, this was kind of my fault. And uh, was fortunate to finish the race there with the top 10 and to stay close enough to Kyle for the final weekend to be able to perform like we did. And we finished the second and the first that last week and ended up winning that point field. So, yeah, uh, to, to say it went smooth and it was easy, uh, I don't think they're ever easy. But uh, we worked pretty hard. We had some gut-wrenching times with the crew and, and uh, kind of had to just it back and say like hey you know if, if we don't win the championship it's not like we didn't bust our butts for it and uh, fortunately we did end up winning it but uh you know sometimes you have to have that talk with everybody that you know our ex- expectations always don't come true so yeah well i didn't realize that it was that much of an up and down season but um and i haven't been falling close enough to realize that you won both series last year so malvern bank and Poker trucking for our listeners. Those are two series that one's mainly ne- mainly Nebraska and kind of the uh, western portion, and then the Hoker is mainly Iowa and a little more east. And uh, that's a lot of racing if you run both those. And so Ted would sound like he was really really busy in 2020, even with COVID. And then this year, uh, we talked a little bit before we got on. He said he just they just ran most of the Malvern Bank side, and. Uh, so congratulations on winning the championship. I know that they're always difficult from when we are racing, and it always seems like when stuff starts to go wrong, then uh, it's really hard to come back from, like you were saying, issues with motorhome and things like that. That can get really challenging. Um, but can you? So when I first got to know you, or when I first heard of you, was um, 
I think I was racing like crate late models, limited late models at the time. And when, and, uh, I heard that you were kind of racing out in Albion. Is that where you first started racing late models and what kind of, was that a limited late model then? Yeah, that was limited late model, but I actually, the first year I started would have been Butler County Speedway, South of Columbus. Prior to uh, racing late models, going further back, how did you get your start in racing? I, I was thinking it was go-karts, and that you guys were pretty involved in that. Yeah, yeah, it was go-karting. Um, my dad and and my uncle and my grandpa started racing go-karts a little back in the, I don't even remember when it was, 80s, late 80s, something like that. And uh, my grandpa built a go-kart track behind his business uh, here in town in Northport. And uh, so when I turned eight, they finally decided to put me behind the steering wheel of one of their leftover go-karts that they had sitting around. And uh, kind of all started from there and raced go-karts up until I was 16. And I mean, we put a lot of miles on traveling, doing that, racing for trophies and no money really. Um, actually really didn't even race for money until got closer to the later years of go-karting for me there. And, uh, but we won three national championships racing against some of the best guys in the country that are now like racing, like AJ Foyt. Uh, he's off in IndyCar stuff and Landon Castle, he's doing NASCAR stuff. So. Uh, it's pretty cool to see some of the guys we used to race against and how far they were able to make it. And then uh, I guess when I turned 16, I just, uh, I don't know, you get that age that you got your high school buddies that you want to hang around with a little bit and uh, decided to stay closer to home. And so we got into the dirt late model scene and just raced once a week at Butler County. And then I don't know, just the competitive side in me kept me going and wanting more and here we are traveling again so like we were go-kart racing so <laughs> so when you race go-karts you were traveling all over the united states then uh yeah uh, i before i actually got heavy into it i know like my dad went to new york to race for our nationals and in, in louisiana i was not i was too young to make that trip but yeah several times we would race against guys from all over the country down like in the southern part of kansas uh, Missouri. Um, my grandpa even hosted a na few nationals at his tracks here in Stanton. I uh, went to South Dakota for a few nationals. I don't know. I can't even remember all the states we were in the race. Yeah, we, we covered a few of them. So when was like, what's uh, your first memory of racing, I guess, around go-karts? Would it have been going to your grandpa's track and watching him and your dad racing? Yeah. I honestly, the first, uh, this is kind of funny, but I don't know why this sticks in my head, but like my first race ever in a go-kart, um, Corey Dumpert was racing at that time too in go-karts in the same division as me. And we, there was like a red flag or something and I wasn't paying attention. I just rear-ended in big time. And at that time they didn't have like no noses or anything. So it was just all this bare bumper. <laughs> I don't know. Why, I don't know why that sticks in my head, but I do. I do remember that. But um, uh, just uh, just playing around with the kids at the racetrack when I was young, all my parents were racing, and my dad was racing, and my grandpa racing, and 
watching those guys race for national championships, just uh, going to the nationals all the time. That was that was a lot of fun. And so I would say those are probably my highlights of my go karting career, just remembering it. So when in terms of go karts, was that in my mind? I'm thinking like it it would have been on dirt because that's what I'm always thinking about when I'm thinking about racing. But was it on dirt or was it on pavement? Uh, everything was on dirt. Yep. Okay. All right. That's interesting. There was actually a pavement race that I got to go to when I was uh, 15. I went down to North Carolina um, to the NASCAR track, and they had a 300 lap race, which was all in pavement. So you go onto the, you race through pit lane, and then you go out onto the racetrack a little bit. And I was going to be a substitute driver, so I was going to sub in about half the race and finish it. And uh, so I got to, I got to run some test laps down there the day before the race. And then the day of the race, about 15 laps before it was my turn to sub out, the guy put her in the fence. So that kind of ended that. But uh, that was a, that was a cool experience. Uh, I never really raced on asphalt before and uh, uh, had, yeah, I just, that was something that really stood out to me. It was just kind of, it's a lot different than racing on dirt, even though the go-karts today really look like they're racing on asphalt, even on the dirt. But um, it's, uh, that was a cool experience. So that was that at like Charlotte Motor Speedway then? Yeah. Yep. Man, that's a big, big track to be racing a go kart on. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, I mean, it, obviously it wasn't on the NASCAR portion. Yeah. It was, it was, but yeah, it, you can still see it today if uh, if you watch the watch the race, you can see where the racetrack uh, is. Um, but that was a that was still a pretty big track, and pit lane is a lot rougher than you think when you're in a go kart with no no suspension on it. Yeah. Well, that, that's kind of like the same way, because I raced mini sprints, which would be similar to go-karts, a little different, but basically the same, same size of tracks and things. And then when it was kind of time to move on and move up, I don't know why, but my dad wanted to put me in a late model right away, and so that's what we did. So it's got some similarities there. When you get, when you got to the point, so your grandpa owned the, the dirt small dirt track that that had uh, go-kart events at it so then when you moved into late models did that still keep going and were you still racing go-karts or once you kind of moved to late models did all that kind of fizzle out and the track closed and stuff like that uh the go-kart track i believe stayed open for another year or two years if i remember correct and then it closed down and my brother my brother and my dad actually raced go-karts for another two years too um, and then they hung it up and, and we just focused on racing the late model then. And so, yeah, it, it fizzled out for me. I did not race any more go-karts after I got in the, in the, in the late model, just, um, mostly because I had, I, the fun went away for me in the, in the go-karting. We had such a successful, um, career in the go-karting growing up that, it just got to the point where it was getting so competitive that if we didn't win or run in the top two, we weren't, you know, we weren't happy. And it just kind of took the fun out of it. And so I needed to get away from it. So I, cause I didn't want to give up racing. And uh, so that's why I was kind of thankful for the, for the uh, late model deal because it was a, definitely a new challenge and the expectations go away. Uh, they're not so high then. So um, yeah. I, I gave up on go-karting, I guess, just kind of, I lost the fun in it. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. 
So then you you start racing late models. Say you started at Butler County, and, and then Albion. Those were more limited type late models at that time. When did you start, um, or what year was it when you kind of started doing like super late model? And it, at the time, was the SLMR around, or was it uh, like a week? Were you doing weekly super late models somewhere? Uh, the see, they had like the the SLMR type rules, I believe, down at I eighty weekly, and then. The SLMR was around, um, but I think it was like 2010, I think. We were racing the Pool Junction, one of their October races, and I don't know. I was talking to, ran into Kyle down there, and that's where it kind of got hooked up with my first car from Kyle. And then he kind of talked us into coming down, racing a few of those SLMR shows, and so it kind of just kicked off from there which would have been 2000 uh, probably 2011 i think if i remember right when we kind of started doing more of the super stuff and i feel like that's when i kind of started getting to know who you were we were racing around you a little more um tad mentioned kyle that's kyle burke um for the racing fans he drives number 14 late model and has had a long career in dirt late models around nebraska and the surrounding states and that's like we're he sells cars, um, or used to sell a lot of cars. I still, I think he still sells some, and that's where I got my first late model. Uh, sounds like when Tad started moving up, that's when he kind of where he got hooked up with Kyle. Um, and so th- I think that was kind of when I really started to know who you were, and we were around each other a lot more. Um, I mean, just because we got cars from Kyle, but that didn't mean that we were on a team or working together. But it was just like uh it we were around each other more is what i felt like is that kind of how you remember it oh yeah i yeah for sure um definitely not on the team because i think me and you raced for a few championships there yeah back, definitely back here down tonight, so uh, pretty sure we were pretty fierce competitors against each other but uh yeah i think we both were trying to get information from the same person for a while there and uh so that's probably why we had such good battles yeah, definitely. So you mentioned some names that are familiar to me, like Corey Dumper, he races late models. Um, ben Schaller races late models. So I guess I didn't realize, Did was there a lot of guys that you race against now and they're in late models or um, other divisions at, at some of the bigger circle tracks, dirt tracks that you race against in go-karts? Uh, yeah, I put them out of them, like Corey and Ben, um, Jared Hoffman, he um, races the Modified Division. Um, you know, there's just guys around that I used to race nationally that they've kind of moved up into the dirt car stuff that are still uh, still racing. Okay, yeah, I didn't realize that you guys went that far back. Most of the people that I race against in, like, mini sprints, they stayed the sprint car path, so then I don't... And never really cross paths with them ever again. So then, when you were started to do super late models, I remember racing like weekly against you. And you're right, we were fierce competitors, um, friendly, but didn't talk much really off the track. And then, when did you start? I feel like kind of towards the end of where I stopped racing, you were racing more and more. You were even branching out to like full open stuff um, and having a lot of success in that. And then I, I feel like that's kind of continued on. So uh, I guess what made you feel, like, because when you first started running open stuff, in my mind, I was like, 
why is he going to do that? He's really successful with what he's doing here. So what gave you the confidence again to start traveling around? Because you guys started traveling around quite a bit and hitting as many races as you could. Ah, uh, just just the competitive side in me. It's um, always wanting to try to get better, and you know, like they always say, race against the best you, to be the best. And so, um, yeah, it was a lot of travel, and but I felt like it, if I wanted to be better, I needed to branch out and do that. And uh, it definitely made us better and learn a lot. And uh, there was, oh man, that MLR, that first MLR season in 2016 was a, a rough, a rough season. I thought it was going to go a lot better than that because the year before um, we made the switch to Black Diamond that year. And that was the year that we sat on the pole for the Silver Dollar Nationals and uh, just had a really good year open late model racing um, after going to that switch. And then um, 16, we decided to run for Rookie of the Year at MLRA, which ended up winning that and finished fourth in points in that deal but it was just uh yeah it was a, a big learning curve um trying to figure out baseline setups that would be fast at every track and then fine tuning from there which um i'm really grateful for being able to do that because I, I feel like that helped me a lot in my career especially coming back and racing the SLMR series so um yeah i felt yeah. like once you started branching out and doing that stuff you were definitely when I that was towards right towards the end when I my last few years you were definitely a lot quicker and much much more difficult to beat if I could even beat you and so yeah I think that helped a lot and even now today you you race I feel like you still race quite a bit of open stuff and anytime that I'm looking at results or I end up watching something that's streaming it seems like you're really competitive and right up in the mix yeah we uh I would say this year probably more than the the prior year with COVID and everything like we went over to Knoxville and raced this year and uh, we ended up making the show, which that was our goal. Um, didn't do a whole lot in the show, but uh, I guess you got to lick your wounds and get back on and do it again. But uh, it was definitely a good learning experience and just to be able to make that show over there is pretty cool. Yeah. It's uh, uh, So, yeah, we raced there. Obviously, the Silver Dollar Nationals, that platform there uh, that the Kaziski's put on, definitely helps you know your confidence to be able to race with those guys after you do it so many years and uh yeah and i just after doing the mlra thing like uh, i really enjoy the open light model racing it's really fun um and uh the that extra horsepower is uh it's it just makes everything happen a little bit faster and and you're it's a lot more challenging on your driving you got to be more technical and everything like that so so when you're out uh traveling and that takes a lot of time you're going really far you mentioned this week you had a real busy week at work um i think you're if i remember right your your career is in accounting is that correct yeah yep. i'm a cpa so uh, mostly in the taxation area so um, my luckily my busy time is in the winter which used to be when there's not a lot of racing and uh now it seems like there's racing pretty much year round, but uh, at least not not in my area. There's not, but so yeah, uh, it helps in the summertime. I'm not as busy. I still do work full time, uh, only 40 hours a week then. But uh, so, and then my job's really flexible. So if I need to get out of there and, and work less a week, I can do that. So that makes it way more beneficial for me to be able to go racing as much as we do. So what is a typical uh, 
race week and then weekend. I know you you guys are traveling quite a bit and you hit a lot of races. So are, how many nights a week typically are you racing now? And um, obviously anytime that you're not at your day job, I'm sure you're in the race shop. Right. Yeah. So I guess I'll just start on a, a Monday night usually as the, as the starting of everything. Sunday, if we don't race on a Sunday, Sunday's wash day, which is the worst day. And then Monday night, um, I get a couple guys to come out and help me. Usually, actually, it's usually just one guy and then my grandpa. And Monday night, we try to basically do all the maintenance and make sure nothing's broke. Um, Tuesday night, I am usually out on the shop. And that's like my maintenance for my motor night. And Wednesday, I would say, is like suspension. Go through all that and make sure that's good to go. And then try to take either Wednesday or Thursday night off and spend time with the family and then usually load up on Thursday night or Friday morning, depending what my, what my week looks like for work at my day job and then when we have to go racing. So, so yeah, it's a, a lot of nights in the shop, um, you know, come home, play with the kids for a little bit and uh go out to the shop and work out there till you know 10 o'clock 11 o'clock um sometimes come back in intermediately to help put the kids down and then go back out there so it's just uh yeah when it's there's more to it than just getting in the race car and driving as you know but uh for the listeners it's uh it's a lot of work in the shop to maintenance these things week in and week out and uh then on top of it that you got a, a hauler that you got a maintenance on top of it so there's just yeah it's just it's a never-ending list of things to fix and look at and work on and and uh but i'm i'm thankful for the guys that i got to help me um and I'm thankful that my wife is understanding to let me be out there as much as i am yeah so you mentioned your wife and and kids how many kids do you have now i got two kids when are they gonna start racing um we got the four-year-old a little four-wheeler that he races around the tree but i wouldn't say that he's showing much potential for talent right now but maybe that'll come around in times so is grandpa already thinking about getting another a go-kart track put together or is there one out at the the off-road complex is there a go-kart track there already yeah, they actually started a go-kart track out at the off-road speedway, which is where the, the big cars race out here in Norfolk, and they're so just not, I don't know, across the way on the same property. They built a little go-kart track, and they race like every other Sunday for three months in the summertime uh, just to kind of get kids involved and hopefully keep this dirt racing program going around Norfolk. And so, yeah, we'll be... We'll definitely be putting a go kart together for him sometime. So when uh, when about so your grandpa originally put together and owned and ran that go kart track when you were growing up racing go karts, and then you moved to late miles, and that kind of just shut down after a couple of years because he's busy going racing with you. I assume when did the there's off road speedway in Norfolk now, and that's where that's the bigger track and that's where late models race and they have weekly racing hobby stocks and modifieds and all that. Um, what may, I feel like your grandpa's involved in that and there's part owner or promoter. Let us know exactly what his role is there. And then what made him want to kind of get back in that. I feel like you guys are plenty busy going racing all the time and as much as you possibly can. 
So how? Why did he want to add another thing to his plate? Oh, because he's crazy. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in all honesty, the the racetrack, the old Riviera racetrack, um, they just, I think if I remember right, that was like a long-term lease that they had. And the owner that had that lease um, passed away. And then the, there's a lake that owned the ground or the company that owned the lake. They wanted to mine it, you know, for gravel. And so um, they got rid of that racetrack and really uh, a lot of people, I don't know if they reached out to Grandpa or who they really reached out to, but um, I know Grandpa did not want to see the racetrack go away from this Norfolk area because there's just a lot of people that love racing around this area and wanted to see a track continue. And he was concerned that if there was no track that all these people would sell out and, and, uh, basically the racing culture in this area would die out. So that was, I would say was a big motivator for him to stick his neck out. He's not an owner. He's just a promoter. Um, Kevin Signer is the owner of the whole property. And so, I don't know. Grandpa is a, he's a smooth talker when it comes to stuff like that. So he was able to talk Kevin into doing that. And, and he, Grandpa kind of took like all the headaches on with the city and trying to get it all passed and put up. And um, yeah, now he, now basically he's just a promoter does all the scheduling and stuff like that and takes all the lovely phone calls every week. So. Okay, so for uh, I, I've been around your grandpa Jerry, right? Jerry's his name. Yep. Yep. Okay, and so he's for our listeners that are involved in racing and been around dirt late miles, they know that he's pretty fiery and he's fun to be around at the racetrack. Um, how? But when I'm around you or and you got upset or something went wrong on the racetrack, you you seem to be pretty even tempered to me. I never really saw you lost your cool or throw any tools. Um, but grandpa, your grandpa, Jerry is pretty fiery. How, how did you, uh, skip out on that? <laughs> I don't know. must've been a different X and Y gene or something, <laughs> but yeah, he, I would, my, my younger brother, uh, Dylan, he definitely got the same genes my grandpa got, but, um, I don't know. I just never, you know, stuff happens sometimes. And so it, it doesn't always work our way. And, and I've I've had my moments where I'm I'm bad and stuff, and but I get I usually get over it a lot faster than Grandpa does. He's just he's just always been so competitive all his life. Like when stuff doesn't go the way he wants it to go or the way he thinks it should be, you know, he just he's a, one of the he's one of them old school guys that he's gonna stand up for what he believes and and no matter what he's gonna basically fight to the death in a way. <laughs> and uh, so. Yeah, that's that's him to a T. He was always fun to to be around, and he, you're right. He definitely always spoke his mind. He knew, you knew where he stood. And uh, now, anytime that uh, my dad and I would watch when uh, like Malvern Bank is streamed or something, and and would see like if you get caught up in something or setback or whatever, I always look at dad and like, well, I'm sure Jerry's getting fired up right now. <laughs> yeah, he. He still does for sure. He's about 80% of what he used to be. So he's calmed down a little bit since then, which is, uh, which is nice. Uh, Cause there are some times it can be overbearing and, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful that he's passionate about the sport as much as I am. And uh, I certainly wouldn't be here without him. And 
gosh, he's 78 years old and he's out there grooving and siphoning tires for me and dismounting them. So, I, you know, helping me wash the race car. So I can't say too much bad about him. <laughs> so um, since he's your grandpa, your kids, that would be their great grandpa. Uh, is he excited to see them start racing? Like I asked, asked you jokingly when they're going to start racing. Is he Has he started talking about that? Yeah, he's talked about him buying a go-kart, but, uh, yeah, he's seen the same talent on the four-wheeler of my four-year-old that I have, so I, I think he's taking a, a little bit of a, a breath there and, and wants to get as much dirt late model racing in with me as we can before we take on the whole go-karting thing, and, I, you know, I don't know if my son will want to do it as much as I had passion for it or not, and so... If if he does, then that might put a little damper on my racing career. But we'll we'll just take that as the time comes. And uh, so hopefully, uh, I mean, in a way, I hope he does, is passionate about it because I, I hope to keep this racing thing going. But uh, I guess if he's not, I'll just keep racing for a while. So to change the subject a little bit, I know that you've raced quite a few different chassis and late models, and I'm I'm disconnected enough now that I don't know all the ins and outs of all of them, but what chassis brand are you running now? And I guess, how, how did you come into that? Um, I know at one point I, th- I feel like that you had a Bloomquist and you'd race that. And I have always wanted to ask somebody who'd actually raced one, what it feels like. So I'd like to know that. And then also just where are you guys at right now for chassis brand? Gotcha. Um, yeah, we are still on the Bloomquist or they call them the team zero car now, I guess. Okay. Um, but uh gosh we've been on them for this will be my third year fourth year going on my fourth year now um i gosh how did i don't even really know how we got involved with that other than i feel like we were me and my grandpa were at knoxville i believe just walking around the pits and we always have talked about, you know, like at that time, Scott was like in his prime, going to win almost every race he was at. And so I think Grandpa just went up and talked. Oh, no, I'm wrong. It was not Knoxville. It was Aberdeen, South Dakota. I, now, I remember that now. We were up there racing a Lucas Oil show. And uh, Grandpa just went over and talked to him and told him that we'd be interested in possibly buying a car and got his phone number and never really did nothing about it the rest of that season. And then when you know october november called we came along we called him and he had a car for sale and so uh yeah it was um it was a very nerve-wracking commitment because uh you know you hear all the horror stories of you know um not getting much help all that stuff and getting parts and so we did a lot of checking around and i guess we took the gamble and uh went out there and was supposed to pick up a roller and we get there and it's um the only thing that was in it was the rear deck there was no uh dash um i take that there was front suspension on the car that was it so uh we literally thrashed uh for two days putting the car together and they worked some crazy hours like (laughs) they they wake up at noon and start working about two o'clock in the afternoon and they don't stop till four in the morning and so 
we went out there around December. So I was just getting off my busy time at work and which I was at that time, I was working from like four 30 in the morning till six at night. So, um, we get out there around nine o'clock and there's the, the shops pitch black and, uh, about, about 1130, a few guys start coming out of the rooms and, uh, Scott shows up about one 30 and, so we are just kind of standing around because we didn't really know where any of the parts were to help put it together. And finally a guy started helping us a little bit, put it together and Scott started helping after that. And, uh, yeah, so a few sleepless nights, we got that thing put together. We bring it back home, race it a couple nights and we go to Marshalltown and end up barrel rolling that car off the end. And I was, yeah, we were really sad about that deal. And, just called Scott back and asked him if he had a, a frame, you know, cause we had already just b- literally built one from the ground up. So we weren't really f- scared about getting a bare frame. And, uh, so he, he fortunately he had one and we had it shipped out to us. And, um, honestly, after, after rolling that car at Marshalltown, it was one of those times, like, do you just get out of racing? Um, or do you keep going? And I was okay with getting out and my grandpa was not and so he got that car and once we got that I just I don't know I got my motivation going and we got that car built the I think the first race we went out was at cool junction with it and we won and so uh, just been racing it ever since and actually it's still the car we're racing today but uh, yeah as far as driving it I mean it's there's there's definitely nothing pretty about the cars that's for sure but uh they do they do have their track conditions where they're really really fast so does does it feel way different than uh any other car you've driven or is it still still a Durley model and it's just good in certain conditions and not good in others uh yeah it's i mean it's it's pretty good in all conditions i would say there's just certain track conditions that the, the car's really good in um as far as driving wise, I would say like it steers probably better than any car that I've ever driven. Um, so it allows you to run, run your car tighter than other cars because you can, you're able to steer. And so honestly, whenever you can race with more traction and still steer, that's, that's the name of the game. Yeah. So what are kind of your plans as you keep going forward? You've been running Malvern Bank and Hoker, and I feel like that's the that's close, but there's a little bit of traveling, so it probably fits you pretty well, especially as your family uh, is growing. Is that something that you're going to keep doing, or are you thinking that, like, will we see Tad, like, run a full Lucas Oil schedule someday? Because I feel like that would be a whole other step that's almost like full-time all you're doing is racing. Yeah, I mean, honestly if we could afford it and I could take a summer off from my job, I would love to go run a tour like that, but we don't have the manpower or the funds to do that. So, um, and, and now with having a family, like I realized my number one priority is to be a dad and not a race car driver. So, uh, the Malvern bank thing thing has turned out to be a really good deal. I mean, pretty much all the races are within two to three hours from our house. Um, there's a few of them that are further away, but we really haven't put this, put a schedule together for next year. Um, you know, I, I think in all of our minds are probably still going to run that Malvern, but Malvern Bank West series, but 
Um, we do, we really would like to run a little more open stuff too. So uh, maybe catch some MLRA shows. There seems to be a lot more open late model races like the World of Outlaws and the um, Lucas Oil Series seem to be racing closer to uh, our area now. And so it makes it a little, little easier to go run them. And now that XR Racing Series is putting up some really good money at tracks close to us too. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I think definitely you'll see us at a few more open races this year. I don't know if we will sacrifice trying to run for a points championship in the Malvern Bank again. I'm really not sure how that all looks with the schedule yet. Okay. So, like, um, in the past five or so years, I haven't been fine-tuned in with everything, but it seems like the technology keeps growing and growing and growing, um, and I'm sure it gets more and more expensive every year. Uh, what are your kind of what are your thoughts on that? Is Do you enjoy the technology changing and improving? And then you hear a lot if you if you just read about dirt late mile racing or watch some of the live streams that there are, they, a lot of times they'll mention engineering and Kevin Remsley's name comes up because he's an engineer. Um, and it seems like more and more there's a lot of maybe, I don't want to say NASCAR knowledge, but just pretty in-depth vehicle knowledge that's seeping into dirt late mile racing. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, it's definitely changed a lot since I first started racing uh, with technology. And I don't see it stopping. And the way the, the, the points or the purse money is looking like now, I definitely feel like you're going to see some more cup guys coming down to test with these national dirt touring teams. And, and yeah, that's why you see, in my opinion, a lot bigger discrepancy between uh, the national touring guys and more of the regional guys, in my opinion, just because those guys are able to go test so often. And and um, I feel like there's a lot of data acquisition that's being done now while they're testing. And, and then they take that back to the shop and, and analyze that. And so the more the more data that you can put together and, and make decisions off of obviously you're making more correct decisions than than incorrect decisions where you're just trying to guess by the seat of the pants but um which is more what i have to do um and so yeah that's where that's where you got to rely more on your, your connections you know with some of those top touring guys and and hopefully they share that information with you and all that so it's uh it's definitely changed the changed the dynamics of this racing. I would say probably for the worse because it does cost them money, and it's probably why you're seeing less and less car counts. Um, but you know, I, I I don't think there's any way to stop it. So um, you just you just go along with it and and try to do the best you can and learn as much as you can every year. And there's still, I mean, there's still you know, adjusting by the seat of your pants and learning that way too. And, and, uh, so, um, by, by racing a lot, you know, you, you mentioned that I race a lot of races and, and we do that for a reason because we help build our notebook and, and now I've been on the same race car for three years. So, uh, you know, you can really fine tune that notebook now and to different track conditions, different races, different race tracks. So, yeah, that's, I, I guess that's probably been a, a benefit for me that we're not jumping around from car to car. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, you mentioned that basically you can almost race year round now. Do you have um, 
any plans of doing anything like before the typical season starts around here in Nebraska? Usually it's like end of March, early April. Are you thinking you're going to travel anywhere um, in January or February to do any racing? Yeah, we're kind of gearing up here in January, maybe to go down to uh, Beto Speedway in New Mexico. But, um, you know, it's probably been a good three weeks since I've been in the shop to actually get keep going on the cars. I've been so busy at work. So, uh, and the, the rig would have to leave like January 6th to go down there. So, I don't know. Uh, we're, that's really up in arms. If the weather's bad around here, uh, we're probably not going to go. Um, I'm going to try to get the car car done to go down there, but it's just uh, we're all really up in arms if we're even going to be able to go. Okay. Yeah. Well, I would kind of put you in the in the bracket of becoming like basically a Kyle Burke. I mean, you're racing enough and you're winning these championships and a ton of race wins and you're doing open motor stuff. Do you think that when you get on the latter part of your career, I still think there's probably plenty of racing for you to do. Um, and up until maybe when your kids start racing, do you think that you'll transfer into maybe a car dealer, Durley Mall dealer where you're selling cars and helping people? Or do you think you're just going to keep on racing and all of a sudden then your boy will want to be racing and you'll just go racing with him like your um, grandpa has with I don't you? know if I technically like build cars for people. I don't know if I really have that passion like Kyle does. Um, I, I would definitely sell my used cars to somebody and help them along or honestly thought a lot about uh just kind of like a driver development program i always thought that would be kind of cool just like as a driver um picking a, a younger individual out and a parent that uh wants wants their child to race and stuff like that and, uh, and somebody that's passionate about it like just have them in my shop and you know, have their car there and, and teach them some of the stuff that I've learned over the years and then kind of mentor them a little bit, kind of like, kind of like Kyle did for me and, and some of the, the people that I've met since and have, that, that have done for me. So, um, yeah, I just, that's, that's kind of crossed my mind a little bit too. Well, I think he's still got plenty of racing left in you. I'm sure a lot of more race wins and a lot more championships. So I know you said that your schedule is not really set for next year, but I'm sure it, you'll do good with whatever you're doing. So good luck with that. Um, we're looking forward to supporting the you guys and the Malvern Bank Series again. Um, I was looking forward this year to once you got the pink spoiler on. I figured that Jerry would have some sort of video of telling me that the powder coating wasn't good enough. So I'm I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that I didn't get oh, anything. You know, any how messages. Many times I heard that that pink is ugly. Or, but we can't we can't say nothing about the powder coating being bad because. It hit the wall like four times at, at Huron, and it's still on there. So, um, uh, I think it, I think you do a good job, a good durable powder coat. There. All right, all right. Well, that's good to hear. Um, but good luck next year. Uh, looking forward to watching you. And uh, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Yep. So that was Tad Pospisil. Like we said, uh, twenty twenty one Malvern Bank super late model series champion and and in 2020 he won sounds like that he won the malvern bank and the hoker trucking so that was a lot of races there's a lot of competition there um and i i didn't realize that he won that in 2020 so congratulations to him for that and then just this last year i'm sure he's gonna be right up in the hunt again in 2022 if that's what he chooses to do so we, we really appreciate having tad on and for him taking the time to do this obviously he's really busy 
and uh, but it's someone that represents our the dirt late model racing well, and someone that we we the Kazers enjoyed being around when when we were racing late model. So it was fun to talk to him again. Um, we do have a question from social media this week from Tim Kirschbaum. He's a customer of ours, and I think we powder coated a car frame for him. He asked. Uh, what do you use for a conversion coating on steel parts? Do other types of metals also require a conversion coating? So our theme recently has been pretreatment and conversion coatings. Um, we had an episode, I think episode 14, KaiserCast episode 14 with Bill Townsend was on pretreatment. And we talked pretty in depth about that and what that meant and why we do it. Uh, basically, we get all the grease and oils cleaned off the parts and then we put a conversion coating on there that helps uh, promote adhesion uh, so the powder coating sticks better and also helps provide a little bit extra corrosion protection. And so Tim's question, after like reading some of those posts, he's asking, so what type of conversion coating do you actually put on steel parts? So we use iron phosphate because steel has iron in it. Uh, the element of the periodic table for iron is Fe. And so we use iron phosphate on steel parts because uh, iron phosphate will actually build a coating on steel parts. The chemistry allows that to happen. On other types of metals, um, Tim's asking, do they require a conversion coating? I don't know that you can say that any metal requires it, but it um, definitely improves performance significantly. So it's highly, highly recommended. On other metals, there's different type of coatings that we have to use. So iron phosphate is only going to build if there's iron in the substrate, which is going to be steel and ferrous material. That's where that FE comes from, ferrous material. On aluminum, that's a non-ferrous material. Okay, so it's not, it doesn't rust um, and get orange like regular steel would. So we can't use iron phosphate on that because it won't build because there's no iron in aluminum. And so um, we can hit the part with iron phosphate and it might do a little cleaning, but no coating is going to build. So we use a zirconium conversion coating on aluminum that builds really well and, and provides a really good conversion coating. And then we do the same thing on stainless steel. So those are the three main substrates that we deal with, steel, aluminum, and stainless steel. So on steel, like I said, iron phosphate, and on aluminum and stainless steel, we're using zirconium. Um, you can use a combination of iron phosphate and zirconium on steel if you want to go really extra over the top and get an exceptional conversion coating um, but we don't do that at Kaiser because we don't want to add that extra cost and time so iron phosphate for steel zirconium for basically everything else for what we handle at Kaiser so Tim thanks for the question he's been a good customer of ours he interacts on social media quite a bit and we really appreciate that um, because it allows us to answer questions like this so that is KaiserCast episode 16. Uh, episode 17 is coming up pretty soon. It's going to be it's just a week away. We're going to have another one. Chloe will be back. We are going to talk with Dave Thiessen. He's our rep for PPG, and we've known him for quite some time, and PPG is a, a great uh, supplier for us for our powder coating that we spray. So we're going to have him on here and just... Talk about um, sales reps, and I'll kind of give my opinions and um, what I like to see 
in terms of a good sales rep and things like that. That'll kind of be our theme on social media. But when we talk to Dave, we'll just kind of get his background on the industry and how he came to the position he is in now and um, what he's, if he's planning on kind of staying in the role he is in or if he's going to move up and on to different things. Because um, typically sales reps at these larger companies like PPG and Sherwin-Williams and um, Axo Nobel and Exalta, usually they don't stay in one job for very long um, at the company. They usually stay with the company that they're at, but then they, they move around to, to different areas. So we'll talk to Dave about that and see what he's up to, and um, we'll just kind of go from there. So thanks for listening to KaiserCast episode 16. This is probably one for racing fans and people that know Tad and interested in dirt racing. Um, I know I enjoy talking to him and gets me thinking about wanting to, to race again, but definitely don't have time for that right now. But thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, is everything working good for you? You need anything? Anything broke? Anything leaking? Just make sure we stay on track with the yellows and everything will be fine. Little things lead to big things. When you stay late tonight, we need to get this job finished up. Overall, I think everybody's doing a great job. Keep up the good work. It's getting hot out, so make sure you're drinking plenty of water. I know this job's been difficult, and everybody's getting frustrated. But if we can't do it, nobody else can. That's the reason why the job's here, because nobody else could get it figured out. Just keep working at it get frustrated. We'll keep collecting data, taking good notes, and we'll get it figured out. Does anybody else have anything?